I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 72. And you kept smiling and I didn't know why. Because <laughs> we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we are back in our seats. We missed y'all. We did. Thank y'all for everything. Donna's back and alive and kicking. Well, not really kicking, but yeah. We will tell all of our stories at the beginning of next week's episode when we're back for a legit main episode. Yes. And y'all, we need a TV show, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Let's jump into these stories. Hey guys, I'm a new listener to the podcast and love it. My story is a personal experience my mom and I had and have never been able to make total sense of it. My family and I have moved around a lot. In 2010, we had to move. My dad got a good deal from a coworker on a five-bedroom farmhouse that had a wraparound porch with hardly anyone around us. I've always wanted a house with a wraparound porch just because it's like so idyllic. Uh-huh. Me too. I would never walk around the whole thing, though. <laughs> no. I mean, what are you, Forrest Gump? No. Our house backed up into a cornfield, and we had four different entrances plus large windows, which scared the hell out of me at night. Um, that sounds like a scary movie right there. Children of the Corn. Yes. My mom and sister said they heard footsteps and felt like someone always watched them. I always felt like someone watched me from the stairs and often imagine a man standing at the top. I refused to go into two of the bedrooms alone or for more than one minute. The owner's wife and daughter were a little odd and would often come around the house thinking they could just come in whenever since we rented it. So my mom kept a foldable chair under the doorknobs to prevent anyone from coming in. Oh, wow. That's bad. Like, yeah. if you have to do that, like, I'm pretty sure that's a law. Like, the, like it should be in the contract. Like, yeah. they have to give you, like, 36 hours notice or something. Yeah. One night, it was storming. Of course, me, my mom, and our dog were in her bedroom asleep when I woke up at 3 a.m. to my mom calling my dad on the phone asking if he was home yet because she heard someone walking on the porch around our house, which I heard too. Uh Uh-uh. No, no, no. He was still at work, so my mom gave the phone to me and told me to stay on the line while she saw what was going on. Right after she said that, we heard a loud crash coming from the opposite side of the house. She had a bat she kept under the bed and went out to the hallway to figure out who it was. She told me as she was walking to the door, she heard the doorknob jiggling, and when she walked up to it, she saw the chair had fallen from the door and the knob had stopped moving as she walked up to it. When she looked out the window, there were no shoe prints or signs of anyone being on our porch. You would have had to have been an avid runner to get off our property within the few seconds. Right before we moved out, these two sisters came to our house and told us their grandparents lived there and they remember spending time at the house and their grandfather died in the downstairs bedroom that was one of the rooms I hated going into. They also always thought it was haunted. We moved out after six months of living there. Long story, but thanks for reading it. You guys are awesome. Sarah from Texas. Just the fact that the door had to be barricaded by the chair, that's scary in itself. Oh, that's like beyond ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And like, you know what I thought about too? Like, how do you decide 
like for people who have like guns in their house or a bat, you know, whatever, like how do you make that decision of, okay, I'm going to grab my weapon to go inspect this because I perceive the threat that great, you know? I mean, like the time that we grabbed the tripod Mm -hmm. to go inspect, like fucking (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Oh, gosh. Because it it sounded like someone was in the other room and we heard that noise. So it's like, that's why I was just like, no, we need something. Yeah. All right. This one is called Old Lady Ghost. Hey, y'all. I'm not sure how to start this, so I'll jump straight in. So mom, my grandma, mom's mom, and I are all very into the paranormal. Over the years, we've all encountered some strange slash paranormal things. I've decided to tell y'all about my grandma and her experiences. These experiences take place back in around 83 when my mom was a baby. We old. (laughs) I was born in 85. (laughs) Just her. (laughs) (laughs) She says that I always do that to her. And uh, I mean, she does. Exhibit A. She does. My mom, her mom, and her dad were all living in a pretty old house. My grandma claims that the doors would open and close on their own and things would move from where they were originally placed. Mom would be placed in her crib for a sleep and would later be found with her teddies, which were across the room, placed in along with her while she sat there seemingly talking to air. And these are just some of the things that occurred. Fast forward a bit and they were getting ready to move out of the house. My grandma is out after a long day of packing and then she comes home to what should be an almost packed house to find everything completely out of the boxes almost and placed back where they belonged. Photos on the mantle, pots in the cupboard, unless it was some weird ass robber that knew where everything belonged, it was a ghost. Mm -mm. No, packing sucks. Mm -hmm. Do not make me do it twice. (sighs) My grandma believes it was a ghost of the old lady that lived there before they did, who adored mom. She didn't mean any harm, and she didn't want them to leave. My grandma has always been into the paranormal and was even rumored to be a witch in the small town they lived in. That's a story for another time. With the self-isolation happening, I finally found the time to write in. Hopefully this wasn't too long. From an Australian creepster, Alexis. Not too long, and you better send in that story about the witch. Right? No, I love that. Yeah, that was perfect. All I picture, though, is on Sword in the Stone, Mm -hmm. when Merlin is packing, and, like, Mm -hmm. it's all, like, doing the things. Like, that's what I picture, but it's going out back to, like, their spot. But, I mean, can that ghost come to the next house and do that again? Yeah. (laughs) How much that costs. Right? Okay, this one is called When I Was Fucking Exercised. They ain't saying they exercised. They said they were exercised. (laughs) Hey, girlies, Natalie here, and I have a lot of stories to tell y'all. Hopefully, this one won't be too long. The females in my family, starting from my great-great-grandma and her sisters, have always been able to sense or see non-humanoid things. But the men in my family have always pushed it under the rug and called it bullshit. Nothing physical like scratches, bites, etc. happened until I was born. My family told me that they would get a bad feeling no matter where they were as long as they were with me. Even the men said they had bad feelings or felt uneasy. 
They explained it as the feeling when you're about to go down on a roller coaster or when you know something's going to happen in a horror movie. I thought they were about to explain Uh it a different way. And I was like, what's scary about that? My family were not crazy Christians, but did go to church every now and then. When I was four to seven years old, I would somehow forget how to speak English. You might not think that's a big deal, but I would just lose the ability to talk. I would speak in tongues. We had a chill pastor, so he never spoke in tongues, but I would do it mockingly. I started speaking in tongues, and my aunt got out her phone and recorded it to show our pastor afterwards. This time, I stood up off the floor and rolled my eyes in the back of my head while I was speaking in tongues. My voice got more demonic, and I got dragged across the room. I know this because my aunt got it on video. I was eight at the time. How could I fake that? What the exorcist is going on here? We were all so scared that my aunt called my priest and told him to meet us at the church. By we, I mean my aunt, my mom, and me. We showed him the video, and he automatically got his holy water out to spray me. I was confused because I didn't remember anything and was just kind of out of it. He sprayed some on me in the car as I was buckled in. My aunt and my mom asked, what are you doing? He said that in the video, I said, fuck all of you, fuck God, fuck you. I'm going to slit Natalie's throat, die bitch, over and over. Oh my gosh. He sprayed me with the holy water and I felt it burning me. It was the worst pain I'd ever felt. My seatbelt flew open and I got dragged out of the car and hit my head. My family says that I never hit my head and that something was fucking with my mind. Apparently, the priest performed a whole ass exorcism with me just sitting in the car with my mom and my aunt holding me down. To this day, I still feel the burning of the water on my skin and I still have a feeling that something's never left me. Don't worry, I've been safe though. I love y'all's podcast and I've been listening since episode 54 of Sinister Sightings. I love y'all and I hope y'all get through this quarantine. Much love, Natalie from Alabama. We're so glad that you're being safe. Um, But uh, can I have that video? Can we see that video? Yeah, I was going to say, all of us want to see it. Yeah, Yeah, not just me. (laughs) Everybody. Everybody in the club watching the video. Dang girl. Well, for real, for real. Glad you're being safe and... Ooh, that's scary. Okay, this one's titled, Like Everyone Says, Here's a Long One. Hi, my favorite extra-large pizzas. This is my first time writing in, and I am in love with your podcast. I'm telling anyone I can to start listening. I've always been a little sensitive to things, but I feel like the older I'm getting, the farther away it's getting. So I don't know. When I was little, I always saw shadows of a man and a woman, but they left a long time ago. Sad face. Okay, where to start? My grandma has always been crazy sensitive. When I was 18, I was going through that, I'm a badass and I don't need no one face. And I was ready to move out of my parents' house. Been there, but uh, I was like, mom and dad, can I stay? I was about to say, yeah, I went through that phase, but uh, never left their house. (laughs) I'm cheap. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, ma, can I get some snacks? (laughs) Uh I'm grown. I do what I want. But will you leave the door unlocked? Yeah. I I, I forgot my key. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm grown. I do what I want. But hey, when you're at the grocery store, will you give me some Captain Crunch? (laughs) Uh Some Gushers. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Okay. 
The day I told my parents I had signed a lease on an apartment, I didn't even tell them I was looking. My grandma instantly called my dad and was like, what's going on with Bailey? She lives about 45 minutes away from us and no one had told her yet. When I first started dating my now husband, I had not introduced him to anyone yet. How dare I not tell my grandma right away? She called me and said she had a dream and that she met this very tall, hairy-looking man with black hair and glasses, and his shirt was open with his chest hair hanging out. My grandma is five foot nothing, so everyone is tall to her, but my husband is tall and Italian, so he's hairy. Well, you've got you an Italian stallion, okay? <laughs> she said, here's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The first time they met, she stuck her hand out and said, yep, you were the guy in my dream. Oh, I love your grandma. My sister and I would go visit her and get a little too silly on wine, and she would start telling us things that have happened. My grandma lives in an elderly community, so unfortunately, it's not uncommon for her neighbors to pass away. She told us, with her red-stained teeth and lips, about, quote, some pervert who would visit her in the middle of the night because he liked her. She said that she would see him come into the bedroom and she'd say, oh no, I'm not that kind of woman. Out. Only my grandma would be thinking a ghost wants to hook up with her. <laughs> what is she, me? <laughs> <laughs> we did help her get rid of some junk one time and my husband opened a drawer and found her dildo. He was scarred forever. <laughs> I mean, is your grandma me, honestly? <laughs> I grew up in South Florida, and we would take trips to the Keys pretty often. It was such a short drive, we never really planned anything, just hit the road. One time, we made it all the way down there, and it was Pride Fest. If you don't know what that is, where have you been? So, needless to say, Key West being such a tiny town was packed. Every hotel was taken. My parents did not want to waste the trip. Most likely, my dad didn't want to miss the party and drive another three hours back with two kids whining. My dad found an old house we could stay in. I'm talking creepy, creaky floors, old-timey pictures on the walls, where the eyes seemed like they were following you. I felt weird the second we went in. There was only one bedroom, so my parents got it, and my sister and I slept on a pullout. I couldn't sleep, so I was up watching TV. I heard someone walk out of the room my parents were in and walk down the hall to where we were and stop behind me. I was paying more attention to the TV, thinking it was my mom coming to tell me to shut it off. But I didn't hear her talk. I said, Mom? When I turned around and no one was there. Confused, I got up and looked down the hall to see if my mom was playing with me. No one. I instantly realized what just happened and ran so fucking fast back to the pullout to wake my sister up. We later found out that it was an old brothel in the 1800s. Yup, my dad made us stay at a haunted whorehouse. <laughs> my senior year in high school, my aunt passed away. We were so close when I was growing up, it hit me hard and I didn't know how to properly handle it. The hospital called my mom in the middle of the night to tell us it was coming and my mom was inconsolable. She ran out of the house, and I went back to bed. I was a stupid teenager, as we all were. I think a piece of me was hoping she would still be there in the morning, and we would go see her. She passed that night. I went to school the next day, trying to hold everything in. A few years later, my biological mom passed away. Because of unfortunate circumstances, my sister and I were never close to her. 
Feeling guilty I wasn't closer to her and wishing things could have been different, I had a really low point of thinking of both of them nonstop. I mean, all the time. I had my mother's ashes in the living room. One day off, I was sitting on the couch with my dog, Mika. She's my ride or die. And I noticed her perk up and look towards the kitchen. I knew my mother was hiding behind the wall. I knew it was her. I imagined her beautiful, frizzy, 80s, beachy hair. I felt her. I said, Mom, just don't scare me. I've never felt or even saw her again. I wish I would, and I still feel bad for pushing her away. Maybe she needed to talk. Being down on myself and the what ifs, I was still thinking about my aunt. One night, I was having this weird-ass dream, like nothing made sense. Tie-dye colors in the background, trippy shit. Then my aunt was there, but she was young, like in the photos she was showing me of herself in high school. Big, goofy, 70s glasses, giant blonde hair, so thin and pretty. I went to reach out and say something, but she put her arms up to stop me. She said, everything is okay. I'm fine. You're okay. I love you. And I woke up hysterically crying to the point I woke my husband up and then I started laughing. I told my husband about the dream and how real it was. I felt like I had literally just spoke with her. She was right in front of me. It felt so real. It made my heart swell. The next morning, thinking nonstop about this dream, I make my coffee and Mika and I sit on the couch together. I put the TV on and the Ellen show is on with a very popular medium. They're talking about dreams and visitations from loved ones. What the fuck? I instantly started crying again. She tells how the dream isn't going to make sense. It'll be quick. You'll feel them there and this will be their goodbye and they're going to show themselves to you as they want to be remembered. So my aunt wants us to remember her all pretty, healthy, and thin. Yep, that was her. (laughs) I call my sister a couple of days later to tell her. She had almost the same dream. I can't remember what my aunt told her, but we were ugly crying on the phone together telling each other about it. I've never had another dream like that. I want to. Okay, last one for now. In my early 20s, I worked in the bar district of Old Fort Lauderdale. I started my first bartending gig. I was so cocky and proud. Bad bitch coming through. The bar had big metal tables, like cool industrial theme, that I could not even move by myself. To lift the chairs, you had to square your legs up correctly. I'm not pulling my back out or drag them across the concrete, like nails on a chalkboard. I would be upstairs by myself after locking the entire place down, and I'd hear bottles moving in the well. Chairs would screech across the floor and I would freak out. It happened every night. I would go check everything out with a giant chef knife in hand. It got to the point where I would have my husband come and sit with me just to close up. I'm not a bad bitch. Girls, I love you. Keep on keeping on. Bailey C. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Well, mm mm-mm. To the creepy-ass ghost at work. Mm Mm-mm. But also, I love your grandma. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I loved all of those stories. And, girl, you are a bad bitch. hmm I couldn't be a bartender. Me either. I can't understand people across the bar. I'm like, what? Huh? Mm-mm, I know. Huh? They're like, I said, can I help you? I'm like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Okay, the next one. Hi, girls. I've been binging your podcast for the past six weeks, and I love it. I have long been obsessed with all things paranormal and true crime, so I feel this podcast was made for me. I've also been binging free episodes of 2020 on ID on YouTube, and I came across a case I think you would love, Carrie. 
well, okay, I'm just going to say this next sentence and then I'm going to skip it because, you know, I want to do it and I don't want to give you, give you any details. But she said it's season one, episode four, and it's about Tim Hennis. I have a true crime story that happened in my town, Parump, Nevada, just last week. Oh, shit. Okay, let's see. Let me see. Okay, they sent this at the very end of March. Okay, they say, it's still a developing story, but here's what I know. I'm not going to use names, but you can fill in the blanks. The suspect, a 19-year-old male, stabbed another kid in an attempt to rob him for his Gucci belt. Oh my gosh. The kid who was stabbed fled to a nearby business and called the cops. The suspect went home where he lived with his mother. When the responding officer went to the house to question him, his mother answered the door. The suspect put a Mossberg pump-action shotgun over his mother's shoulder and proceeded to shoot the officer several times, nearly executing the officer before being shot 12 times and killed by another officer. Oh my gosh. The downed officer has survived and is now in a hospital in Las Vegas. The sheriff's office here released a video showing footage from both of the officer's body cams, as well as one of the neighbor's security systems. In the footage, you can hear the mother pleading with her son to stop, and it's positively heartbreaking. I also have plenty of paranormal stories for you, Donna, but I'll share just a couple for now. I used to live in Maryland in a town with a lot of history and culture. Once, I had just moved into a new house and had put my kids to bed. I was on my bed flipping through Cosmo with MTV on in the background. Oh my God, I I relate to that. Mm -hmm. In my peripheral, I saw what looked like a black cloud in front of my dresser. My immediately thought was, I'm tripping, time to go to sleep. Within a few seconds, I heard a thump, like someone hit the top of my TV with their fist. My hair stood up on my neck and I looked up. Just then, my radio came on, full blast on AM static. I jumped up and darted from my room, almost in tears from fear. It took me a few minutes to work up the courage to go in and turn off the radio. About 10 minutes after that, the radio came back on, and I had to send my son into the room to unplug it. I'm the type who would throw my child to the ghost to give myself time to run. That's how scared of the paranormal. Please don't judge me. Uh, I wouldn't. I was yeah, like, absolutely. yeah, sacrifice him. Absolutely. He's, well, he's fast. Yeah, fast and nimble. He can hide and move and mm-hmm. little fingers. Okay. It gives him character. I mean, what are we if we don't have trauma in our lives to make <laughs> us funny as adults? <laughs> Very true. Another incident happened here in Nevada when I was laying in bed next to my husband who was already sleeping. I heard the faucet come on in the bathroom next to me. The kids had school the next day, and it was pretty late, so I went to see who was awake. Everyone was in their bed and appeared to be asleep. So I warily went back to bed and laid down. I obviously couldn't get to sleep because I was on alert about the faucet. Just as I decided to close my eyes, I heard right in my ear a disembodied voice, only it sounded half robotic, half demonic, and I couldn't make out any of the words. I screamed and woke my husband up and made him switch sides with me. Another, <laughs> I love this savagery. <laughs> like, you're fucking switching sides with me because it came in my ear. Yes. <laughs> Another time, my husband and I were in that room laying on the bed, windows open, music on the radio. We were both awake and talking. It was late and dark, but warm. All of a sudden, our bed started to shake as though someone... 
a very large, strong someone, had taken hold of the headboard and began violently shaking it. Our bed was the only thing in that room and the whole house that shook. Needless to say, for the rest of our time in that house, I could not be alone in that room. Those are just a few of the stories I have. If you like those, I have plenty more. Creep up the good work, Angela. Angela, we need them all. Send them in. And look, when I get married, I will do that same shit. Definitely. You got to switch sides with me because that demonic robot almost killed me. And if I ever have kids, I will shoo them in a room to unplug something. You are adult goals. Yes, definitely. (laughs) This one's titled, My sister and her husband accidentally made their house more haunted. This is why we can't do the Ouija board in any of our houses, because this is what would happen. No, I'm never doing a Ouija board. I don't care where the fuck it is. But this is why I'm too scared to, like, use sage or literally do anything. (laughs) Because I will, like, trip and fall and knock a candle over and then... Open a portal. This is why we have the quarantine right now, y'all. I tripped over (laughs) something I wasn't supposed to do. (laughs) Hi, ladies. I just want to start off by saying I recently found your podcast, and I have been binge listening to it through this whole quarantine. Seriously, y'all are helping me stay sane. Your content is always interesting and terrifying, but y'all do such a great job at injecting humor into your stories. So the story isn't mine, but my big sister's story. My sister, Melissa, and her husband, Mac, and their toddler son used to live in a haunted house. They moved from an apartment into a rental house and were so excited to have a little yard for their young son. But almost as soon as they moved in, weird stuff started happening. She has probably over a dozen stories, but this one stuck with me the most, and she gave me permission to share it, with the exception of one detail, which I will explain later. To set the stage, they had typical ghostly activity happening almost every single night. Bed shaking, blankets being pulled off of them, and even whispers. Mac told me plenty of times that these ghosts or spirits or whatever you want to call them would shake the bed or him while he was sleeping and he would wake up and hear, he's awake, and then some shuffling and then the bed shaking would stop. He even said he used to see eyes in the closet. Mel told me that their young son used to point to a corner on the ceiling in his room and with his limited vocabulary say, that bad. Of course, nothing was there where he was pointing. It got to the point where they switched bedrooms with him because she was getting increasingly worried about whatever that was and didn't want her son in that bedroom. Now to the main story. The bedrooms were connected via a Jack and Jill type bathroom. It was late at night slash early morning hours. Mel and Mac were asleep in their bed when Mel woke up to the sound of their son moving around in the bathroom. She woke Mac up and asked him to go get him. He sleepily yelled, Bubba, what you doing? They both saw his tiny shadow being cast by the nightlight, moving away from them. Mel almost got out of bed to get him when she remembered that he was staying at Grandma's house for a (gasps) sleepover and was not even home. What? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) She reminded Mac that he was at Grandma's house and then the shadow moved from the bedroom into their son's room. Mel thinks whatever it was was absolutely trying to lure her into that bathroom by pretending to be their child. They stayed in bed and nothing else happened that night, but they were absolutely spooked and worried. Now the part that I can't give details about was what they found in the cellar. 
Shortly after the Demon Child Ghost episode, they went into the small cellar at the back of their house to do some maintenance and found writing and symbols painted on the wall. I cannot say what the writing said because once Mel and Mac found it, they started discussing it and of course were talking about this strange writing out loud and Mel said after that, the creepy shit got kicked up several notches. She is honestly scared to death of those words and she doesn't scare easily. She was the one that would tell the ghost to cut the shit out because she was trying to sleep. But this phrase scared her so badly that she told me the only way I could share her experiences was if I left it out of the story and didn't share what it said. They suspect that whoever rented that house before had been doing rituals or some other weird shit in that cellar, and that's why the house was haunted. Now, I googled this phrase and each individual word, and it isn't any language that Google Translate can find, so we have zero clue as to what it means. But I'm telling you, I had never seen my sister so scared or uncomfortable than when she was telling me about it. Eventually, my sister and her family were able to move out of that house and enjoy peaceful, not terrifying nights. Maybe I'll try to get some more stories from my sister and her haunted house and send them in. But for now, thanks for reading. Creep it real, ladies. Amanda. It's like so much of me is like, what did it say? Same. But then I'm also like, I don't fucking want to know what it says. Yeah, I don't want to say it out loud. I don't even want to read it. Uh But then I'm also like, but what did it say? Uh Uh-huh. That is so creepy because when they said that Mac got shaken awake and it was like, he's awake. I pictured like little imps and stuff. And then they said that they had the the kid shadow and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Like, how scary. Like, what the fuck would have happened if you would have gotten up and gone to that bathroom? Oh, my gosh. Also, two stories in a row with shaken beds. Mm-hmm. Okay. This one is local true crime. This is a long one, Carrie. Greetings, ladies. My name is Anthony. It is 6.42 a.m. on Monday, March 30th. I started down this rabbit hole by looking into the local Native American tribes in my hometown five hours ago. I now sit at my laptop writing this email to you about a mass murderer named Nathaniel White. This story took hold of me because I was born and raised in a city where the majority of his victims lived, and I was born when the majority of his crimes were committed. Shall we begin? Picture it. <laughs> An unquarantined opening. <laughs> that made me giggle so hard. Okay, picture it. An unquarantined opening day for Legoland, New York, July 4th, 2020. Guests fill the park with laughter and excitement, unknowingly walking the land once known as the dumping grounds of mass murderer Nathaniel White. Let's rewind a little back to March 22nd, 1991, just off of some abandoned railroad tracks on Dead End Stanton Street, 29-year-old Middletown, New York resident Juliana Frank was discovered propped up and stabbed to death. She was pregnant with her third child at the time of her death. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. When later asked, Nathaniel White stated, The first girl I killed was from a RoboCop movie. I seen him cut somebody's throat, then take the knife and slid it down the chest to the stomach and left the body in a certain position. With the first person I killed, I did exactly what I saw in the movie. Over a year later, June 29, 1992, 14-year-old Christine M. Klebb goes missing. She had just graduated 8th grade. 
Christine's family reported her missing July 1, 1992. Her body was found on the side of Echo Lake Road in Goshen, New York on August 4, 1992. Christine's aunt, Jill Garrison, was dating Nathaniel White at the time of her murder. On July 4, 1992, Nathaniel White attended a cookout with Jill Garrison held by Christine's family. He even consoled her parents. Are you fucking kidding me? I've heard of him, but I don't remember all this detail. Lorette Huggins Riviere, Anthony says like multiple spellings can be found of the last name, but was Nathaniel White's third victim, killed July 10th, 1992. Lorette was a close friend of Jill Garrison. Lorette's children had even had a sleepover just week before their mother's just week before their mother's murder took place. This is a quote from the entry on Antiquity Echoes, a true crime and supernatural blog about Lorette's murder. Lorette Higgins Riviere was a mother of three and an employee of Middletown Blue Cross Blue Shield. Her body was found beaten, stabbed, and strangled in her Middletown home on July 10, 1992. Investigators noticed that the crime scene at the residence bore a haunting resemblance to that of an unsolved murder from the tracks over a year earlier. Lorette's small home was filled with boxes and crates, which she had been packing her possessions into. In August, she had planned to relocate back to her native homeland of the Caribbean. One of her sons was already there awaiting his mother who would never arrive. Oh my gosh. At the Blue Note Tavern in Poughkeepsie, New York, July 20th, 1993, 23-year-old mother of one, Angela Hopkins, and her 20-year-old cousin, Brenda Whiteside, were seen getting into the pickup truck of Nathaniel White. It was the last time that the two would be seen alive. Their bodies would later be found in Goshen, New York, I hope I'm saying that correctly, on August 4th, 1992, inside of an abandoned farmhouse. Angela Hopkins and Brenda Whiteside's cause of death was determined to be from severe blunt force trauma to the head and face. Oh, oh gosh. Middletown, New York resident Adrian Hunter would become known as Nathaniel's last victim. She was stabbed multiple times during the morning of July 30th, 1992. Her body was disposed of in what remained of the Hillcrest Manor restaurant, which had burned down on Christmas Eve of 1987, and found that same day. To paint a better picture of what was left of the restaurant in 2016, when the following report was published, this is Legoland, New York's description of the property from their archaeological investigation. An abandoned asphalt driveway off of Harriman Drive that leads to the former Hillcrest Manor restaurant provides access to a cell tower located in the southwestern corner of the area of potential effect. The driveway was constructed to access the restaurant in operation in the 1970s and was destroyed by fire December 24, 1987. Hillcrest Manor Restaurant's location is marked by a foundation remnant, standing chimney, concrete pads, parking lot remains, and scattered debris that covers much of the hilltop within the southwestern portion. On this same day, July 30, 1992, police began suspecting that all of these three crimes are related. August 2, 1992, Cecilia Hopkins returned to the Blue Note Tavern in Poughkeepsie, New York, the last place she had seen her sister alive. She and her mother asked around if anyone knew who the man was, and it turns out he was a regular. Later that day, police had Cecilia identify Nathaniel White at the Blue Note Tavern where he was arrested. 
On August 4th, 1992, Nathaniel White confessed to all six of the murders and led police to the unfound bodies. Four of these victims were found either on or very near the property in which Legoland, New York, is building their resort. There was also a lot of controversy regarding the parole system with this case because Nathaniel White kidnapped a 16-year-old girl in 1991, but the details are muddy, and it's now 9.58 for me, so we will not be getting on that soapbox. I even just spelled controversy wrong five times before giving in to spell check. <laughs> now, before I let my mattress take me, I'll sit down and watch I Invited Him, the fourth season premiere of Evil Lives Here, which chronicles the crimes of Nathaniel White. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I can't forget, creep it real and don't get scared. Always listening, Anthony. PPS, I'm not editing or proofreading this. Love y'all. I love the like time chronicle. Like yeah. <laughs> he had been doing it for five hours. And then the end of this email was three hours from that. Yeah. This was a whole days of work. And thank we appreciate you. it. Yes, thank you. But like for real, thank you. It was good. Yes. Maybe that's how I know this story is because of the evil lives here. I haven't watched that one, and I love that show. Me too. It's one of my favorites. But the the part about the sisters disappearing and him being a regular was like, for real, for real, where I was like, no, 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 I know this story. Watch me have like done it on an episode. <laughs> no, you, you would haven't. remember. Yeah. I wouldn't. You would remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was so freaking brutal. And like, you saw it on RoboCop? Yeah. Oh, gosh. This one's titled, Friends with a Murderer? Question mark. I mean, they say you never know somebody. Hey, ladies, I'm a pretty new listener, but I'm obsessed. And seriously, no, y'all are what is keeping me sane during this quarantine. Anyway, my story isn't particularly long or epic in any way, but it's true and I thought I'd share. Back when I was an emo little sophomore in high school, circa 2008, I ended up being in the dreaded position of a new girl. Same with the emo sophomore year, but more like circa 2001. <laughs> And never had to move, thank God. I don't know how y'all do that shit in high school because oh my gosh. props to y'all. I didn't know anyone and wasn't the most outgoing, but I fortunately met a new friend relatively fast. And for the sake of privacy, I'll call her Amy. She was nice, super cool in that outcast kind of way. She had an older brother in college and just a seemingly perfect life aside from being a little weird. Because of her home situation, she spent a lot of time at my house or with my family in general, doing things to make her feel like she wasn't alone. A few months or so go by, and I'm starting to notice that Amy's getting a little possessive over our friendship. At first, it was little things, but after about another few months, she was at the point that she freaks out if I can't hang out, or, God forbid, I make plans with anyone and don't invite her. Calling me multiple times when I don't answer, and even going as far as driving to my boyfriend's house to see if I'm really with him or out with other friends. Mm -mm. So, being the true crime junkie I am, I hightail it out of that friendship before I'm the star of a Dateline episode. <laughs> <laughs> the breakup isn't actually as bad as I thought, and life moved on quietly. For me, that is. It's now the last month of school and everyone's sitting around at lunch minding our business. Suddenly, our principal, vice principal, school counselor, school safety officer, and not one, but three uniformed cops come walking into the lunch area and arrest Amy right there. 
Turns out earlier in the year, on the same day I started my new school, Amy's older brother snuck into her house after she had already left for school and murdered her mother. What? Amy helped plan the entire thing. I was both shocked and sick. I knew I dodged a literal bullet. They both went to jail and that was that. Nope. Fast forward nine years later, I'm married to my high school sweetheart and have a beautiful son. One day I get a friend request from a girl that I recognize, but I can't place her. The name doesn't ring a bell, but she looks familiar. I accept for snooping reasons, of course. Oh, duh. And not even five minutes later, I get a message. Hi, bestie. Holy crap on a cracker. It's Amy. Uh, crap on a cracker. Did you get that from Dexter from Deb? Because she says that <laughs> and that shit is funny. <laughs> She was released after serving just nine of the 12 years she was sentenced. I promptly blocked her and locked my windows. Excuse me while I change my name. Thanks for listening to my story and keeping me sane, Samantha R. Oh my gosh. So like, what did she tell you about her mom? Like, did she, like, did you know that her mom got murdered? Did she just tell you that her mom had died? Like how, I, hmm, so many questions. I cannot imagine being at school, seeing all of that happen and being like, oh, what? Like, they take an Amy? And then figure out what she did and like, what? Well, at least when she was in high school, she could have texted her mom or something and like, holy fuck. Amy just got arrested. The hell is going on? We still had a pay phone. <laughs> very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> I'm feeling very old this episode. <laughs> and we're not. No. But y'all, these stories were amazing. This was like the best return sinister sightings we could have asked for. Yes. Y'all keep these sinister sightings coming. We literally read every single one in the order that they come. We don't read them before. So it's a, just as much as a surprise for us as it is for y'all. Yes, and we enjoy them so much. Yeah, so like I said, keep them coming. Send them in aparanormalchicks at gmail.com or you can send them in on the website aparanormalchicks.com. So last thing to do is to remember. Creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.